Everyone, this morning we celebrate the feast of the presentation of Jesus in the temple. This feast is always celebrated on February 2nd, and so it doesn't often happen on a Sunday, which means a couple things for us. First, I haven't preached on this yet, and so I actually had to write a new homily for this feast. <laughs> Couldn't reach into the bag of tricks, the old well. And second, we might not be so familiar what gets said about the child Jesus, the baby Jesus on this feast. If we pay attention what's said about Jesus on this feast, the statements in the gospel can be downright troubling. Here's some of what was said. Simeon says, this child is destined for the rise and for the fall of many. This child will be a sign to be contradicted, that is, a sign to be opposed, to be rejected. When Simeon directs his words to the mother of this child, he says, a sword will pierce your heart also. You're not exempt. A sword is going to pierce your heart also. Things like this is hardly what we would expect after the joyful events of Christ's birth, and yet they're sad. And, more importantly, it teaches us a couple important things. First, Jesus, even as a child just 40 days old, Jesus, even at 40 days old, was always headed towards the cross. That was always the point. Jesus, even as a baby child, was about his mission. His entire existence was about his mission, the cross, which is to say, our redemption. Second, Mary, his mother, took part in that mission as well. A sword will pierce your heart too. Mary, we could also call not just Jesus' mother, but also Jesus' first disciple. And as a disciple, she stayed with Jesus from his birth to his cross and then on to his resurrection. But third, and my favorite, my favorite, it, we can tell from what is said about Jesus that it was no accident that throughout Jesus' life in ministry, things get going. When Jesus shows up, things get going. Decisions get made. People's lives change. There is no neutral responses to Jesus. It said, this child is destined for the rise and for the fall of many in Jesus' ministry, when he shows up, you have tax collectors and publicans, people with the worst reputations around, notorious sinners, notorious criminals, coming to a new repentance and to a new hope in God. When Jesus shows up, you have people like fishermen, blue-collar workers, your average ordinary folk, people like the first apostles, when Jesus shows up, they drop everything to go and follow him. And they bring his message to the ends of the world, even giving up their own lives for his message. When Jesus shows up, you have people like Nicodemus, a professional, an educated man, one learned in the law. You have people like that sneaking up to Jesus in secret because they just wanted to talk to him. They're interested in what he had to say, not ready to be all that public had to go in the dark of the night and sneak to Jesus, but wanted to listen to him, to be near to him. 
When Jesus shows up, people like the woman at the well, a woman who lived a terribly difficult life, all kinds of ups and downs. But after speaking with Jesus, she receives a whole new insight into her broken life, and she finds a new hope and a new joy. And on and on and on we can go. All the kinds of people like this find in Jesus their rising. But that's not all. In the gospel, you also find people who reject Jesus when he shows up. You have people like Herod. Herod likes to listen to Jesus. He liked to listen to John, to John the Baptist as well. But ultimately, Herod was not interested in any kind of life choices with Jesus. He just wanted to listen, and that was enough. And Herod, by the end of Jesus' life, actually mocks Jesus, betrays him. You have people like Pilate, a person who is dedicated to the law, interested in justice, was just in other ways. But when it came to Jesus and to the pressure put on him, he ends up compromising. He ends up condemning Jesus to death, even though he knows he's innocent of the charges brought against him. And you have people like Judas. Judas, who is chosen by Jesus to follow him, spent almost every day for three years with Jesus. But in the end, like Peter, betrays Jesus. But unlike Peter, couldn't see Jesus' abundant mercy was able to embrace him too. I would just like to point out that all that rising and falling that's found around Jesus, no neutral responses. Jesus throws, shows up, things get moving, things happen, decisions get made. And all that rising and falling around Jesus can be summarized by a single belief, just this one statement. Can Jesus be the ultimate fulfillment of all my desires? Can this Jesus be the ultimate point of life? Can he be the fulfillment, the ultimate meaning of my life, the fulfillment of my desires? St. Augustine put it this way, a person who has God and nothing else in the world, just God, nothing else, that person has everything. A person who does not have God, but on the other side has everything that the world has to offer, this person has nothing at all. And a person who has God and everything else in the world in addition, that person still only has God, which is to say, has everything. In the gospel, those who believed this, what St. Augustine describes, found in Jesus an enhancement of their joy. He was their rising. It was like salt to food. Salt brings out the flavor in food. When you add salt to meat, meat tastes meatier, which is to say it tastes better. Jesus, because he was the fulfillment of everything that the soul desires, made every joy and every hope that a person who encountered him increase. With Jesus, all of that they had that they loved was increased, was enhanced, was made better. It's also, to give one more example, because I can't help myself, it's like ice cream added to any dessert. I don't care what dessert you're eating, if you add ice cream, it's better. <laughs> the people in the gospel who encounter Jesus, who see him as the point of life, the fulfillment of life, nothing is taken away when they dedicate themselves to him. Their joy is only enhanced. Their hope is only enhanced. Their meaning in their life 
only in hands. But on the other side, those in the gospel who didn't see Jesus as their greatest good, as the fulfillment of all desire, they found in Jesus a contradiction. They experienced conflict in their soul. They felt that if I give myself wholly and unreservedly to Jesus, I won't have enough. I will be sad. I'll be alone. Something all of us have experienced at some time or another. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's the ultimate lie. The idea that if I give myself to Jesus, if I listen to Jesus, I'll be left sad, alone, unfulfilled. It's the ultimate lie. And it's the first lie. It's the first lie. It's the lie that was whispered to Adam and Eve in the garden by the serpent. You won't die, he said. You won't die if you eat of the tree. You'll become like God. In other words, if you don't listen to God, if you don't rely on him, you're going to be enhanced by that. You'll be improved by that. In other words, God is keeping something from you, something you need for fulfillment. That's what the serpent whispered to Adam and Eve. That's what the serpent whispered to Herod. That's what the serpent whispered to Pilate. That's what the serpent whispered to Judas. And on and on and on. If that's the case, everyone, there is no better example for us than Simeon, who today in the gospel, upon taking Jesus in his arms, says, now you can let your servant go in peace. Upon taking Jesus in his arms, Simeon says, now I can die in peace, fulfilled, happy. Now gazing on Jesus, holding him in my arms, I'm complete. You can let your servant go now. That's the truth of Jesus. That's the truth of a real lived relationship with Jesus. Jesus and everything he ever asks of us is not the downfall of my soul. He's not the downfall of my soul. Jesus and everything that he ever asks of us, even if it includes suffering, and especially when it includes suffering, is the completion and the fulfillment of the soul.